Rhonda Stoppy, welcome to the By His Grace podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show with me today. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. From aspiring musicians to church worship teams, theworshipinitiative.com has resources for everyone. The Worship Initiative is an online training resource to help you learn and lead top worship songs with in-depth instrument tutorial videos, chord charts, and more. Alongside instrument training, we have devotionals for every song and training videos on how to be an effective worship leader from voices like Shane and Shane, Phil Wickham, John Piper, Ben Stewart, and more. Only at theworshipinitiative.com. Start learning and leading your team now by using the code SPARK23 for your first month free. So we are boy moms, and today we are going to talk about raising sons. You are the author of Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. First of all, love that title, but then the subtitle is Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion. And so I know that this conversation is going to help a lot of mamas out there today to guide their sons. So welcome. Thank you. I'm very, very excited about this book. Yeah. So this is a 10th anniversary edition of a book that you had previously published and it was doing really well. And so they ask you to come out with an updated version, which is great because so many things have changed from the original one 10 years ago. So that is so fantastic. And we're in this book launches on March 10th. So I just want to plant that seed before we get into this interview. But I was tickled when I started reading your book and Helen did your forward. So Helen has been a great a guest on the By His Grace podcast. I actually sat down with her at the NRB and got to meet her in person. And I felt like she was just a kindred spirit friend that I had known forever. So many of the ways that I raised and educated my boys were the same way that she educated her kids. And she was just so delightful. I just um, am actually hoping to bring her back on the show, but I just thought that that was wonderful. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to the By His Grace episode with Helen Smallbone because she is a delight. She is. And for those of you that are like, who's Helen Smallbone? She's the mom of Rebecca St. James and for King and Country. And they have other kids as well. Uh, and I got to interview her son, Luke. And this was a decade ago, which I'm like, Luke, talk to me. Tell me about your mom. My son, Brandon, is also a worship pastor and a musician, and he's played with a number of really awesome Christian bands and toured with them. But he got to play with Rebecca St. James in Southern California. And so I got to meet her and all that back. That was several years back. But I'm like, Luke, talk to me about your mom. He was so happy to talk to me 
about his mom's influence in his life. So the very first story, when you open up Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, and it is jam-packed, the whole book, with stories of moms present day that have influenced our culture by imparting truth and guiding their son toward his purpose and passion, women in history, moms in history, and moms of the Bible, which it's just jam-packed with like these heroes of the faith that you might have missed if you didn't know their story. So Luke starts out and he says, one of the things that stood out to me when he was a young young uh, high school age tennis player is he was in a tennis match and while he was playing, He wasn't doing very well. So his mom was in the stands and he kind of threw a fit. He threw his racket down and um, he threw it. My youngest daughter would always go, "Mm, him pro to pit. It's like (laughs) him pro to pit. (laughs) And so when that happened, he all of a sudden saw his mom get up and walk out. And he thought she was going to the bathroom, but she never came back. And so he finished the match. He finished the whole tournament and he found her at the car at the end of it. And then this is what Luke said. She didn't say, oh, you embarrassed me. How could you act that way? He's, she said, I will not sit and watch my son respond in such a way that dishonors Christ. Mm. And he said that impacted him. Because her first and foremost desire was for the people, the community community that they grew up in, that they competed in, to reflect Christ's character, to draw people to know their Savior. And her first and foremost concern was not her own reputation as a mom. It was that her son was dishonoring the name of Christ, that their family was well known for serving Christ. So... Let's just stop there for a minute because God says, I created you for my glory. That's right. Glory means to be an exact representation of his character. He created us. It's this is in Isaiah to be a reflection of his character. Jesus said, you know, I glorified the father. He was God's. He reflected God's character. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. When we raise our kids for our own reputation, we become glory stealers. When you tell your kids, you can't act like that. You can't wear those clothes. You can't dress like that. What will people think of me? You know, your kid's teacher calls you and says, hey, he's not turned in any of his assignments and he's flunking math. When we respond, oh, how do you think that makes me look as a mom that I'm not on top of things? You just made me look bad. Your kids don't care. And it's really them teaching them really people pleasing, which people pleasing isn't pleasing. It's a section in Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. We have to teach them what's right because it's right, not because of how I look or how, how people will perceive me as a mom. And I love Helen's story because she was wise enough to raise her son to understand this is not about my glory. This is about God's glory. And you just dishonored our savior. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. Such an amazing testimony. Well, you mentioned that there are moms of the Bible. So what can we learn from scripture, from those moms of scripture that we can apply to raising sons today? Well, the first one that comes to mind is Jochebed. I I always wonder what her nickname was. Did did her husband call her Jockey? (laughs) Jocko. Like Jochebed. But I, I, that's Moses's mother. And if you know the story at all, it was a very difficult time in history when she had this baby. And I know, I know that right now we are raising children in a extremely difficult time in history. And, and some moms would even say it's never been harder. It has nothing new Jacobin under the sun. Found herself. <laughs> so there's nothing that. new under the sun. <laughs> Absolutely. And 
she has this baby in time in history where the Israelites were starting to outnumber the the Egyptians and they were like, we need to kill all the baby boys because there are slaves now and they're going to raise up too many and they're going to win over us and we got to beat them up and throw them in the, and, you know, well, first they told the midwives, kill them when they're born. And I forget the midnight wife's name, Pua, and I forget her other name, but I feel like those women are heroes because they did not murder these babies as they were being born at their own safety, their own peril. And God, if you read their story, God honors them for stepping up. And I, I have to say just real quick, talking about women that work at crisis pregnancy centers, women that come alongside of women that are trying to decide if they're going to keep their baby or not. Those are those women, those, those heroes and God's blessing upon them. So anyway, Jochebed has this baby. She hides him for three months. And then finally she can't hide him anymore. I mean, anybody who's had a baby knows that you're trying to keep it from crying. So she puts him in a basket and she lets go of the basket and down the stream he goes. God had to have put that plan in her heart and how hard it must have been to let go and watch him drift away from her safety into the unknown, into tipping over and drowning or a a crocodile or, or a serpent. And his little sister, his big sister follows the basket. And of course we know the story, it settles and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and raises him in her own home. But the point of that story is sometimes you have to let go of your child. Maybe they have to go visit their biological father and that stepmom that you really don't want them in that house. Or you have to not have the control over the things that you wish you had control over. And having the courage to trust God, even when you can't control the safety or security of your child, he was raised by a woman who worshiped cats, the woman who was Pharaoh's daughter there. If you look at their idolatry, she allowed this son out of her safety and God brought him right there into Pharaoh's home. And then of course his sister said, I know a nursemaid and God allowed her to come back and nurse him for all those numbers of years. So I love that story. She had an imprint on him talks about how young our children are when we imprint them. When they say the first five years, I mean, there's a book out, what's it called? Um, Everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. There's the first four and five years, there's an imprint on a child's brain and it will affect their worldview. It will affect their self-worth. It will affect so much of their life. So be wise who you leave your children with. If you're a working mom and you have to leave your child in a childcare situation, Ask God to help you discern where to send this child, who would be the one that can partner with you in developing a biblical worldview in their mind. Maybe it's grandma, maybe it's, you know, a a dear friend, maybe it's a Christian daycare center. I don't know, but God is more interested in where your child ends up. So ask him for discernment and wisdom as you send your child into a situation where you're not controlling or watching over all of those things. That's so good. So wise as well. So what ways can we teach our sons to think and depend on God? Such a good question because we want to, there's a section in Moms Raising Sons to Be Men called Train His Brain. We have to teach them to connect the dots. We have to teach them to think. And it's easy to just say, because I said so, just don't do it. But having, taking the time to have those conversations and sometimes they're exhausting. Sometimes we don't want to have them. One that I think of for myself, um, and I know you have a special needs son and my son, Brandon had epilepsy and was severe. And when he was young, he was heavily medicated 
And while he was so medicated, I was coaching high school cheerleading in Texas at the time. So, you know, that's kind of a religion in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) And in my dream was my son was going to run one down the park, hit one out of the field as he grew up. He didn't want to do any of that, but he picked up instruments and he could play these instruments. Mm -hmm. And so when Brandon was about 15, 16 years old, he came and said, why can't I listen to secular music? Now I'm not completely 100% anti-secular music. I think if you listen to anything from the seventies, I love the seventies because (laughs) that was where, where I grew up, but we were able to talk to him and say, son, it's not that all secular music is evil. It's obviously the, the words you have to be discerning about, but the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we see the man, we impart the vision. We see the man that God is calling you to be. And we know that you want to use your music and write songs that worship and honor God. But if you're feasting only on secular music, then as a man thinks in his heart, that's what you will write. That's what you will become. And you may be a really great secular music artist, but it may not be the plan that God had for you. So until you're old enough, mature enough, and able to see how an influence of secular music might affect the music that comes out of you, we're going to step in and we're going to guide you away from that for this season. And I remember later, Brandon said, I wanted to be so mad at you when you said that to me. I wanted to be upset, but I knew it was true and I knew you were right. Yeah, that's so good. You you said a phrase in there, um, um, imparting the vision. And so tell, tell us more about how we can impart the vision of what it means to be a godly man to, to our boys. Observing what they love, observing what they're good at, observing what they have struggles with, observing their uh, temperament, how they interact with other people, all of those things. And that means that your house has to be the house where their friends come hang out. And I know it's hard because sometimes they trash your house. We started a church in Texas. We had two, 200 teenagers in our home every Wednesday night. They trashed our house, but they came to Jesus. And I always would say people over possessions. That's right. So put away those things that you don't want your adolescent son's friends to break or whatever. If they want to have girls over, where better to watch them interact with girls than at your house. Right. And then as you start discerning they're, they're, um, they're bent. You know, the Bible says, raise up a child according to their bent. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Their bent is that thing that makes them who they are. And then help them to start recognizing it, help them to start seeing, wow, you're, you're really good at listening to your friends. You, you're really an encourager. I almost see that could be your spiritual gift is that your gift of hospitality. Just last night I was watching (laughs) nine of my grandkids by myself, all under the age of six. (laughs) And they, it was my son's birthday and my daughter and her husband, when they all wanted to go out for his birthday, I'm like, I got this, Nana's got this. And Ledger, my oldest grandson, when they got home from their Wednesday night program, he immediately wanted to give everybody a treat. He's like, I'm going to get him a snack. And so he starts rummaging through the snacks in the house, which I'm like, I'm sure your mom doesn't want all these kids to eat all those snacks. And he got out applesauce and he peeled the top off of those applesauces. And these kids are little. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to have the house a mess. I'm like, that is so kind of you. And it's so thoughtful that you're willing to share your favorite snacks with all your cousins. Let's go eat it at the table. And I wanted to say no applesauce. It's so messy, but I didn't want to squelch this generosity in him and this gift of hospitality that I was discerning in little six-year-old Ledger's heart. So watching and then highlighting those things and going, wow, you're so generous with your favorite snack. 
and impart the vision. I see that in you. I see you concern about others that you'll give up something that's special to you for them. And I, I celebrate that in you. Yeah. And that takes paying attention. I think, you know, mm. moms put your phones down, look at your kids in the eye when you're talking to them and observe them and their ways and how they are with their friends. That That's so wise. Another point, when, when you have your, your teen son in your home and he's got his friends there, men crave respect. So the first decade of your son's life, love the snot out of him. Tell him mommy loves you. Mommy loves you. He'll love it. But he'll get to be about 10, 11 or 12. He'll start pushing you away. He'll start smelling funky. You'll know when it's time. That's right. <laughs> and it transitions where they want to be loved by you by how you respect them. Mm. And if we don't take the um, initiative to transfer the way that we love them to show them respect, they will fight us for it. There's no coming of man ritual in our culture, except don't be a mama's boy. So our sons will start pushing us away if they feel disrespected. And we have to realize I have to hand him his manhood or he's going to fight me for it. You don't want to be that hill to die on. So when your son's at your house and he's interacting with his friends and they put in a movie that is unacceptable, and, you know, for our house, we no one could watch R-rated movies. So if a movie, a friend brings a movie over, which I know now everybody's on digital, so it comes up easy, even easier. And they start watching an inappropriate movie. And you hear a couple of F-bombs. And you walk in there, and all of his friends are in there, boys and girls maybe. And you're like, first thing instinct is to go, what's going on? Why would you watch? You know we don't watch movies that have that language. You know this is inappropriate. Who brought this movie? Blah, blah, blah. We're Christians, yada, yada. And your son is just dying in his chair. Yeah. Honor him as a man. Say, hey, babe, can I, son, can I talk to you for a minute? Bring him away from his friends. Privately say, dude, my son's nickname was dude. You know we don't watch those in this house. So how do you want to handle it? Do you want me to be the bad guy and go and take it and say we have to watch something else? Because I'm happy to do that if you don't want to. You know, sometimes they just don't have the courage to be like, oh, we don't want to watch that. You know, I get it. Or do you want to just say, hey, guys, let's find something else. I'll let that decision be up to you. And then I'm going to come alongside of you to help you follow that rule of our house. How do you want to handle it? Now I've honored him as a man. Now I'm giving him an opportunity, an option. Now he may get upset and he may say, mom, come on. Then you get to say, dude, I'm giving you an option. You either handle this in integrity or I am going to step in and handle it and it might embarrass you. So what would you like me to do? But what a way to empower your son as well to make wise choices. I think that that's great. Now, there's a section in the book, too, where you talk about having difficult conversations with your kids. And there's a lot of cultural hot topics today. And some I have found, even within my three boys, you know, some are easier to talk to about certain things than others. And so you know, if a mom is really struggling to connect over really important issues, how do we make that connection with them and and have those hard conversations? Well, be strong and courageous because if you don't have the talks, no one's going to have them. If you don't roll up your sleeves and make yourself uncomfortable to engage in a conversation that will put an imprint on their mind to have a biblical worldview about that thing that they're looking at in culture. If you don't do it, they're going to Google it you know, Siri's going to teach them or it's somebody that they don't necessarily get the right information from. So it's hard and it's awkward, but being able to say, Lord, 
you've called me to this. You're not alone. God has called us to this ministry of motherhood and to what he calls us. He will give us the courage to step into those difficult conversations. So take a deep breath. And a story that I tell in Moms Raising Sons to be Men. uh, Let me see. I have a couple of them. I have an older son that didn't come to our home till he was 15 years old. So having conversations with Tony, I wanted to sit him down and just talk to him about all the, you know, sex and purity and girls and all those things and how to honor the Lord with your sex life and, you know, wait on him and purity. But I knew that I hadn't earned the right to have those conversations with him because he came to my home already a 15 year old boy. And for some of you that are listening, you may have a stepson that is, you know, older, that is just now coming into your home. You may have um, a foster son or an adopted child, and you want to earn the right to have those conversations in their life. So with Tony, he would go out at night. We lived in Texas and it was so hot. So in the night he would go out and work on his Jeep because it was cooler. And I would put my littles to bed and then I would just go sit in the Jeep. It was a convertible. So I'd sit in the driver's seat and talk to him while his head was down in the engine. And as we talked, we talked about his dream to go to A&M University and his dream to be a fighter pilot, which he did grow up and he's a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He's a fighter pilot. His He talked about girls. He talked about where he wanted to go after college. And we talked about girls, lots and lots of talks about girls. But I know if I'd have sat him down and said, hey, son, we're going to talk about girls. He would have been gracious and let me talk to him about girls because he was so happy to have a home and a safe place to be. But the interaction, men often speak shoulder to shoulder. So follow them to something that they're they're doing and then just have conversations with them while they're doing that thing. Another one that comes to my mind, my son, Brandon, when he was in fifth grade, he stayed home from school sick. And one day he asked, how do you make a baby? And I'm like, oh, your dad will be home soon. And you're going to have that conversation. You know, I have two daughters and I'm like, I'll do the girls and you do the boys. And and he's like, well, just tell me how you make a baby. And I'm like, so I was like, okay, I put on my big girl pants and I gave him the biological way that a husband and wife makes a child. And I will say this, when you have a sex talk with your kids, use the words husband and wife. Don't say man and woman. Don't say boy and girl, say husband and wife, because the context for sexuality for in, in, in marriage is what God created it. Share it in the context of marriage when a husband and wife come together. So I gave him all the, all the biology of it and he got it and he's like, Oh, okay. Got it. And then he asked, well, why would someone do that if they didn't want to make a baby? And there was a girl that in our youth group that had gotten pregnant outside of wed marriage and he wanted to know. So then it's like, okay, now I got to get into the pleasure talk. <laughs> I was hoping your dad was going to cover that one. But I was like, okay, here we are. We're going to talk. So I started talking to him all about, you know, how God created it to knit our hearts together, to make us one and to it's for pleasure and that God created sex and it's pleasurable and he wants us to enjoy it. But the only way it's enjoyable is without fear of consequence, without shame or guilt in the bonds of marriage. And I said, some boys, some men will take advantage of women and they will they will seduce them to take them to bed because they want to have sex with them. And the girl is thinking, oh, if I give my body to him, he'll want me for the rest of my life. And the boy, oftentimes, once they conquer her, they move on. Or they become so convicted if they are a Christian that that woman becomes the object of his sin, that it creates guilt and shame in that relationship. So I said, let's pray that God will help you remain pure until you're married. And let's pray for the woman you're going to marry, that he will help her stay pure for your wedding night. So he did. And we knelt down and we prayed that prayer. And then I tear up every time he said, 
and God, please help my sisters to stay pure. And please Mm. help no boys to trick my sisters to have sex until they get married. And it was like, he got it. He got it from a woman's perspective. And so, yeah, I was like not wanting to have that conversation. But on the other hand, that opened a door for he and I to have a lifetime of honest conversations about sexuality and purity. Or if there was a relationship that he was feeling, you know, drawn to that he was, you know, feeling maybe he was going to get in over his head. So, and then of course I, as soon as Steve walked in the door, I'm like, Hey dad, we had the talk and Brandon and you hang out. And I still don't know what they talked about. And I'm fine with that. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I love the fact that you said to discuss it in the context of marriage. And I think especially in the day and the hour that we are living in, there are so many struggles. There are so many struggles with identity, sexual identity, and there's so much confusion surrounding that. So I love that you said to to share the truth that God created man and woman and he created them to be fruitful and to multiply and that and he said it was a good thing for that to happen. And so we want to create a beautiful picture of what marriage and sex and and also staying pure and you know that was the way that's the way we raise our boys and I don't know that as many parents are having that conversation, but I think it's equally as important to have those conversations with your sons as it is to have those conversations um, with your daughters. I want to hit on one more topic and we're running out of time, so it's going to have to be quick, but the prodigal okay. son, what do we do with the prodigal oh. son? There's the book's written in three sections and the last section is called even if, even if you're alone for single moms, even if he wanders And there is a story in that section that I absolutely love to tell. In fact, Focus on the Family made a video of me telling that story in one of the interviews because it's so impactful. Adoniram Judson was raised by Puritan parents. In fact, his dad was a Puritan preacher. He grew up, nothing new under the sun, like you said. He didn't want to follow his father's path. He wanted to go be a playwright. And he went to Brown University. And when he graduated, he went to New York and he tried his hand at a playwright. And while he was at college... He made friends with a guy named Jacob Eames and Jacob Eames and all of his professors laughed at him that he would believe there was a true, a God. And isn't it funny? This, this where colleges even nowadays. Mm -hmm. So he grows up, he finishes college. He goes to New York or to be a playwright. He fails miserably. And one night he's on a horse. It's dark. He's looking for a place to sleep. He sees a light in the distance and he goes toward that light and it's an inn. And the innkeeper says, I only have one room available and you are welcome to it but there's a man in the room next door to it and he's dying. He's crying out in pain. At that point, Judson didn't think he would care. And he said, that's fine. All night long, he heard this man crying out in pain and he started questioning, what if that were me facing my eternity? I've rejected God. What if I had to stand and face him today? Somewhere in the night, he fell asleep. In the morning, the innkeeper told him that this man had died. And for some reason, he asked the innkeeper, what was the man's name? And the innkeeper said, his name was Jacob It was the very man that had turned his heart away from God in college, his friend. That brought him to repentance. That brought him back to his Puritan parents. That sent him to seminary. He was one of the first foreign missionaries. He went to India. He translated the Bible into the Burmese language. 3,000 people came to Christ. When those prodigals come back, they come back powerfully. Think of when Jesus told Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. I so wish that Jesus would have said, but I'm not going to let him. But he didn't say that. He said, but I've prayed for you. 
And that is what we do for our prodigals. God will devise ways to bring those prodigals home. Don't rescue them. Don't manipulate them. Don't try to make them, you know, see the wrong of their ways. If you've already had all those conversations, you be Moses on a mountaintop interceding, get friends to hold your arms up and you pray for God to devise a way to bring that prodigal, to slop the hogs, to come to his senses and to come back to the truth that you raised him with. Yeah, that's so good. A friend of mine once told me the the beautiful thing about the the prodigal story is that he does return. So mm-hmm. so you're right, he does return, but we have to pray because there does come to a point where you've had all the conversations and you can't say anything else without damaging your relationship. So that's the where the power of of prayer comes in. So I just want you to share any last words that you have to encourage moms who are raising men and then tell us about your pre-order bonuses. Okay. Mom, you're not alone. That's what I want you to come away with this is that God called you to this and to what he calls us, he will equip us. He saved us unto good works. He ordained in advance and he calls us. I like Isaiah 41 10 says, don't be afraid or dismayed for I am your God. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will help you. He will help you. You press in. This resource is a mentor for moms that are guiding their sons toward their purpose and passion. Find a small group, create a small group with the book. I will visit, if you buy 10 books, I will visit virtually one of your small groups and we can have a Q&A or we can talk about a chapter. But my heart is that I want to go home with you through the pages of this book. I was in youth ministry alongside of my husband for 18 years. He's been a pastor for 23 years. There is just so much wealth of information and insights that are weaved through the pages of this book. And my heart is that God has entrusted us in this time in history. And yeah, it's a really hard time to raise our sons, but he knew you could do it. And he knew that if you relied on him, he will do through you exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or even imagine. Amen. Amen, friend. Thank you so much for coming on here today to encourage moms. We need those men who are warriors for the kingdom now more than ever. So mama, do not be dismayed. Get a copy of this book. Gather your friends. Get Rhonda to come and talk to you. What a treat and privilege that is. So thank you so much for being a guest on the By His Grace podcast today. We will put links to everything in the show notes. So y'all go check Rhonda out and follow the work she's doing. Thank you. And my new podcast, Old Ladies Know Stuff. So yes. follow my podcast and Yay. you can write a review for the book. That helps me so much. Tell people about the book. You guys are the ones that have made this book a bestseller. And I just pray it continues to train another generation. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. Thank you for joining me today on By His Grace. I hope you've enjoyed listening and are encouraged by our guest today. I would love for you to visit my blog, mistyphilip.com, for more encouragement. You can find me on social media as Misty Philip, and I would love to connect with you there.